Well, welcome, church. Back to our Sunday night teaching time. It's great to have you with us. Get a Bible. We're looking at the topic, Renewed in the Spirit of Your Mind, How the Life of God Gets Inside. We started last Sunday night with this title, Ideas, Images, and the Holy Spirit, Spiritual Formation and the Renewing of the Mind. And there were two texts. We read them last Sunday night, and I said that we would get into them in more detail, and we're going to tonight. First, Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Let me just comment. When Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh, he doesn't just mean this, this stuff, the part of you you can weigh on the scales, flesh in that sense. Probably the best way to understand the term flesh is to see the opposite that he uses, and that's spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. So flesh is really um, a mindset on the desires of the self. So it, the flesh is the way I set my life without reference to God. So my priorities, my values, my delights, my ambitions, uh, habits. So flesh isn't just this. Flesh is the self excluding the pursuit of the Holy Spirit. So self-orbiting life. Everything revolving around me. To set the mind on the flesh is death. You, you wouldn't think that's true because you, you would imagine that if we set the mind on ourselves, self-preservation, self-delight, self-satisfaction, that ought to guarantee a good life. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work that way. If, if, you, if you orbit your life around the flesh, the self, to the exclusion of the Holy Spirit, well, here's the end of that life. It's, it's death. And he doesn't mean death in the grave. That's true. But death in the sense of everything that I wish I could find for myself, you'll never find. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, capital S, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. Doesn't feel like it at the moment, but it is. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life. It's life and it's peace. And then I looked at Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So last week, we began our kind of detailed study of exactly how our lives are shaped through the mind, the God-given capacity of the mind. And we studied the role of two big shapers of the inward life, the life of the mind. We talked about ideas And we talked about images. Just real quick, ideas, they form the the background, the the worldview of my entire life. They, They reveal what's important to me. Not just what I say is important to me, 
ideas, think, think, inter- everybody has ideas, the shaping ideas that come gradually over time. Think of things like the, the ethics that I live by, the values that I adopt, how I, how I sort my way through life, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. Those ideas, they have incredible power. It's not what I say I believe, but the ideas that drive my life, they form in the mind and they have incredible power. Then we studied images. Images, unlike ideas, images are what the advertisers use. They're, they're pictures. They, they bypass uh, sort of logical processing and they smack your desires. So things about happiness and success, greed. Ambition, power, beauty, fashion, those things, images. And then we started looking at practical steps that Christians can take to be um, spirit-formed in their thinking. So, we studied two points last week. First, the process of thinking involves ideas and then images that appeal immediately to desires. And the second point we looked at was the devil uses these two things as the very essence of spiritual warfare against our souls. I made the point that God is omnipresent. Satan is not. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He can't deal with everyone directly, and he doesn't have to. He can shape our lives through ideas and images. So he doesn't have to be physically spiritually present in order to muck up my life. He works through the spirit of the age, the world, images, ideas that draw me away from God. I have another important point today. So this would be point number three if we're continuing from last Sunday night. Spiritual transformation involves identifying sinful idea systems and replacing them with the mind of Christ. This is a this is a huge topic, and it's a huge transformation. It involves it involves uh, replacing, identifying, and replacing the dominant mindset of this present pervasive, persuasive culture with the mindset of the invisible kingdom of God. It's quite a battle. There's there's no part of life. If I want the renewing of the mind, the life of God inside, there is no part of my life that can be left unexamined. It takes an incredible amount of honesty. And there's no part of my life that can remain untouched. The, the whole idea system that is oriented for life away from God has to be replaced with an idea system that orients everything toward God. It's a huge transformation. So the logical question, I think, is how how do we do this? We all know that very few people can effectively just will their lives to be totally different than they were before. There are some changes you can make. You can, you know, you quit smoking or you, you lose some weight or you quit drinking or you whatever it might be. 
you can make certain external changes. But we all know that the control center of desires and reflexes that steer our bodies and their habits, boy, they, they are pretty resistant to little casual New Year's resolutions and willpower. We can only sustain through willpower certain external changes and for a certain amount of time. And, and here's the point I want to make. I don't believe God even intends growth in Christ-likeness to take place just by the sheer grinding of willpower. There's a place for the will. I think there's a proper order to developing spiritual mindedness. You, you can't change your life starting on the outside working in. God wants to change my life starting on the inside working out. You start on the inside thoroughly, repentantly, prayerfully, and intentionally. You start with the renewing of the mind. Okay, so now, now I want to come back and let's look at our two opening texts. First Romans 8, 5, and 6. Look at it again. For those who live according to the flesh, remember how we define the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh, well, that's death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So, so to try and, here's what that, that text is saying. To try and implement reform, change, without a spiritual mind, that's going to end in death. It's not going to work. There is simply no life or power, lasting spiritual power in that kind of approach. There's no future in it. Your, your mind is the key because, as we saw last week, this is where the Holy Spirit designs, ordains to begin his renewing work. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind as a man thinks In his heart, so is he. You can only change your feelings and desires and the sinful habits of the flesh by reaching them internally through a renewed mind. Your mind programs your desires. Your mind programs the rest of your life. So so what can we do? Well, first absolutely nothing in our own strength. But if this is God's plan, then by God's grace, all of us can, to a degree, choose where we will set our attention. What you think about is what you will love. What you love will control your life. What you set your attention on What you think about, you will come to love. What you love will shape the rest of your life. This is not legalism. When we choose where we will set our attention, this is not legalism. It's not works. We have a huge portion of the church that has been told 
by so many progressive writers and thinkers that it's legalism whenever you have some kind of spiritual discipline that you're, that you're, that you're setting your heart and mind to. And it's just a massive lie. Choosing the disciplines that focus the mind isn't legalism. It's, it's building the forms where the Holy Spirit is going to pour the concrete, if I can use that example. Building the forms for spiritual change. It's not works. It's cooperating with the design of the Holy Spirit in the transforming of everything about my life. It's the process I gave a New Testament text and then this Old Testament text. It's the process that David described in that Psalm 16:8 text where he says, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The strength comes from the Lord, no doubt, because there, because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The Lord is the strength. But David isn't talking in the first step about something the Lord did. He's talking about something he did. I have set the Lord always before me. Is that works? No. It's cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Because he is at my right hand, there's where the strength comes from. I will not be shaken. I can't say it more simply than that. Spiritual transformation begins with setting the Lord continually before your mind. You can't do everything. You can't make the change, but you can do that. And David makes it clear that he was the one who set the Lord before himself. No one did this for David. Nobody would do this for David. No one's going to do it for you, and no one's going to do it for me. David built the forms. God poured in the transformation because he's at my right hand. There, that's where the strength comes from. I will not be shaken. Okay, now let me just expand now with some practical steps to begin this process in your own life. You you can do these things. You can. You can do these things on a daily basis. Here's some steps. A, seek God and pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to your heart areas where you've already become secularized in your thinking. That's step one, the repentance step. I know we all live in a secular world. I know you can't avoid that, nor should you. This world has to be reached by Christians who touch all levels of culture with Christ's life and light. I'm talking now about areas where you've gradually adopted the the mindset, the value system of the world in certain areas, all the while you're still holding to your Christian creed and going to church You sing the worship choruses. Think especially about this world's attitude toward success, pleasure, popularity, tolerance, sexuality, 
This will, this will reveal where you actually have the mind of a Christian and where you're just talking like a Christian. If that seems too complicated, try this. To see where your life has become secularized, look, look for the ideas that seem most natural for you to live with. Like, like look for the actions and attitudes that feel most pleasant to you. Where your mind goes, where it can go wherever it wants. Where does it land? Look for actions and attitudes that seem the most natural to you. That will reveal the value system, the ideas that truly govern your life. And notice, notice how David made that very issue. Notice how he made it a matter of prayer. I'm looking at Psalm 19:13. Here's we get to eavesdrop. Here's David. Here's David talking to God trying to maintain his inner life, his the mind. Here's here's what David says to God when he's thinking about the things that seem most natural. Where has his life become secularized? Where has he drifted? from God, and, and perhaps been unaware of it. So that's what we're talking about here. Look what David says, Psalm nineteen thirteen. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion. If I were underlining, I'd underline dominion over me. Then, God, if you do that, then I shall be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And I want you to notice how David He gives this particular attention to presumptuous sins. That's a very important term. Presumptuous sins aren't just failings. It's not that. Presumptuous sins are sins that have come to rule the life unchallenged because they don't feel like sin anymore. Those are the presumptuous sins. They're the sins that have come to rule unchallenged in my thoughts, ideas, and unchallenged in my desires, images, so that I don't, I don't actually ordinarily feel I need to repent of these things. They, they just feel normal to me. I, I can live in them without feeling guilt. That's what makes these sins so hard to identify. We've become comfortable with them and and they are the telltale signs of a deeply secularized mind in a Christian who still goes to church. Remember, however pleasant and natural and likable these things appeal to you right now, Paul says, Paul says they will end in death. To set your mind on the flesh is death. That, that means that means emptiness real soon and judgment ultimately. Here's another practical step you can take. B, relationally separate yourself from those who would influence your mind with no reference to the Spirit of God. Both live friendships and media. been thinking about the psalmist's word 
in Psalm 1, verse 1. You all know these words. Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Of course, you have to be with sinners if you're going to reach them with the gospel. He doesn't mean... He doesn't mean that. He means standing in the way of sinners, the path that they're on, the mindset that they have. You're there. You're linked up with them. That's what he's talking about. Please understand what the psalm is teaching and what it's not teaching. You cannot and should not remove yourself from all contact with this fallen world. You need to know what's going on. Read the blogs. You should know what's going on around you. You should have influence on those who are lost and without Christ and know how to talk with them and share with them. That's not what David's talking about. He's talking about your, A, your inner circle, and he's talking about the stuff you let into rule in your life, where where you're not reaching the world. The world is shaping you. Be not conformed to this world. That's what this psalm is about. That's what this psalm is about. He's talking about the people you are with in an intimate sense, in a social sense. He's talking about who you allow to speak into your life, what you allow to speak into your life on that shaping level. And and here's David's bottom line. If those people, and they may be very nice people, if they don't live by a solidly Christian worldview, you won't either. If you allow that kind of influence into your life, you will very soon be taken by it to places you never thought you would go. And they'll be presumptuous sins. They won't feel like sin anymore. So, so the counsel of the ungodly, ideas, images, the counsel of the ungodly, tailored as it is to cater to the desires of the flesh, it will soon cause you to find it necessary to do those things in order to be fulfilled and happy. Destruction will become compelling to your mind. And and if that weren't enough, David takes it a step further. You'll find yourself sitting with the rest of the mockers. In other words, when this starts to happen in your life, you're in a church, someone's going to come to you and say, you know, I'm really wondering about your views about A, B, C, and D, and they're going to seem irrational to you. They'll seem narrow-minded. They'll seem bigoted. They'll seem intolerant. But it's only because your value system now has been shaped in a way that you're no longer able to see. You don't recognize what's happened in your life. Mockers. You'll set your life against those who try to correct you. That's what that psalm is about. The proof will be obvious to everybody except you. You won't see it. See, I said here's another step, practical step. Meditate daily on the word of God. This might surprise you the way I ordered these things. I think the common assumption is that, well, Pastor Don, that should be first on the list. You've got it third on your list. And so I want to tell you why I mention it third instead of first. It isn't because I don't value the word of God. Look again at Psalm 1 really carefully, and you'll see why I put this third instead of first. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see the order in those verses? Meditation on the word follows, or probably accompanies, relational separation from the influence of the ungodly. I mean, this just relates directly to an important question. Everybody has the same Bible. Look at Cedarview. Everybody has the same Bible. Why doesn't everyone get the same growth out of it? Why do some people love going to church and others find it a colossal bore? There's a great insight in verse 2 where it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Notice, he meditates on the word day and night. Not because he wants to delight God, duty, but because it's a delight to himself, satisfaction. The law of God, it it pleases him. Why? Well, the law of God pleases this person because of the previous steps he's already taken to separate himself from the counsel of the ungodly. So he doesn't feel like a hypocrite reading the word, and he doesn't feel he's being pulled in two directions as he reads the word because he's already cut off this. He's not a person of, James would say, double-minded. He's not a person divided. He has oriented everything about his life around the Spirit of God in the Word. So in other words, he's, he's what Jesus would call pure in heart. doesn't mean sinless. Pure means unmixed. That's why he's so happy in the Word. So, so get this principle. You have to separate yourself from the worldview of the ungodly in order to be happy in your relationship with God. That's what the psalmist is saying. When your heart is dedicated to God in this genuine sense of, I've burned bridges with my old mental life. And the word of God will be enjoyed because it's no longer perceived as a threat. It's heard with grace rather than condemnation. The text says he meditates on the word. We're almost done. That, that word meditates, it, it, it means he, he literally turns it over in his mind, day and night. He, he, he talks to himself about the word. That's what the word meditate means. So this is the fuel for all other transformation. Starts with the renewing of the mind. Now, in, in the next few weeks, we're going to discuss transformation of the feelings the will, the physical body, but none of these things will be effective until the direction of the mind gets set in order because that's where the Holy Spirit wants to start. I have to tell myself this, just like you have to tell yourself this, Dawn, the mind set on the flesh, however natural it feels, it can only end in death. No matter how diligently we try to turn our lives around just with willpower. When Paul uses that phrase, the mindset on the flesh, he means a worldview 
not taken captive, not reigned in by the revelation of the word. Until that happens, my Christianity is just, it's, it's, uh, it's a talk thing. It's an outward performance thing. Or it's at best raw duty that I'm trying to accomplish. Remember, only the mind set on the spirit, Romans 8, 6, only that mind is life. And finally, peace. The mind set on the flesh can only end in death, no matter how diligently we try to turn our lives around. The mind set on the spirit. Life and peace. More on this subject next Sunday night. Stay with us. Let's pray. We recognize when we do a careful study of these things, how desperately we need the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church, how desperately we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and, and do, do the work inside that we can't do. But we can set our minds on the things of the Spirit through your word, through separation from the ideas and images of the world that seem so natural to us. And so... Let your word be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And Holy Spirit, come moment by moment, day by day, and just keep shaping us all by the renewing of our minds. It really matters whether we go to church. It really matters whether we're with the body of Christ. It really matters whether we make the effort. It's not works. It's letting your Holy Spirit do the work. Bless these words to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. See you next Sunday night. God bless you, church. Love one another.